Very good verses, huh? I wasn't sure when to stand up during the singing, and then Paul reminded me that Seattle is actually north of Auckland. (laughs) So I think I stood up with the right group. Before we go on to the second message, I would like to remind you of a couple points that we touched last night and one in particular that I'd like to re-emphasize a little bit. I didn't really uh, quite say what I had hoped to say about it last night. Um, The first first, um, person mentioned in Romans 16, the very first name that Paul mentioned in the church in Rome, was not one of the elders. It was a sister. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. That is wonderful. And one of the points concerning Phoebe that was on the outline is that she served in the church. She served in the church. Maybe you say, well, that's obvious. Of course she served in the church. But I would like to tell you that it is possible to be a person who is in the Lord's recovery, for the Lord's recovery, but not serving in the church. That is possible. We have such people. I'm not condemning. I'm just pointing out that there is such a thing. Some people say... I serve in the body. That's why I'm not serving in Hamilton. I'm serving in the body. Well, where do you serve? Where's the body? I, I, I can't go to the body. I can, I can go to the church in Hamilton, but I don't know where to go to find the body unless it's in a local church. We actually couldn't be in the body in any meaningful way without being in a local church, can we? The way we are in the body is by being in a local church. Are we all clear about that? So actually, if we're not serving in the local church, we're really not serving. And you know, a local church, every local church under God's sovereignty is under the direction, under the oversight, under the care of the brothers. I mentioned this last night. When the Lord in Revelation 1 walks among the lampstands, he pays very much attention to the leading ones, which he calls the messengers, the messengers. And, and, and in Revelation 2 and 3, those seven epistles They're actually not written to the churches, are they? They're written to the messengers. So they're indirectly given to the church through the messenger. What is my point? My point is, yes, we need all of the sisters to serve. Everyone. That's why we're talking about serving in the church. But when we serve in the church... What's the direction we're following? We're following the direction of the church. 
Now, is there any other possible direction we could follow? Not really, but some do. Some say, well, I'm not serving in the church. I'm following the ministry. Well, I would tell you again, just as we say with the body of Christ, you can't follow the ministry without being under the direction of the brothers in a local church. You say, well, I, I do it. I, I go to the website. I download the messages. I listen to all of them. That's great. Where's your church life? Where do you follow that? How do you follow that? So we can't be, how shall I say, we can't be too spiritual about this. It has to have a physical place where we actually live it out on the earth, in a city, under the direction and the care and the oversight of the brothers. And even worse, get get your rocks ready now. Even worse, somehow I survived last night. I don't think none of the stones even, I don't even have any bruises this morning. Some use their, the ministry or their following of the ministry to criticize the brothers in a local church. They, hey, keeper, how come you're not following the ministry? How come the church here under your direction is not following the ministry? And then you'll say, what ministry are you talking about? Say, Last night's meeting. Didn't you hear it? I listened it. I downloaded it. And after I listened to it, I realized, you're wrong. (laughs) Or they say, after I listened to it, I realized, oh, church in our locality, it's not doing the right thing. Let me tell you, following ministry is not that simple. Not that simple. Um, If you're really going to follow the ministry, you're going to need to buy the collected works of Witness Lee that's 77,000 pages. And that doesn't include the life studies or the conclusion of the New Testament. The ministry is not last week's message. Yeah, that's part of it. I sure do not downplay that. You all know I, I, I take part in that. So I'm not, I, I certainly do not downplay that. I'm just saying to follow the ministry is a lot more than the last message that was given. Or, uh, did you hear the message that so-and-so gave at a local conference in Atlanta? Well, no, I didn't. I'm busy. I'm barely able to keep up with the last one that I had to give. And so, don't ever use the ministry as a as a measuring stick for the local church. That's not what it is. The ministry is for the church. Amen. It's for the church. It exists for the church. It, it should just supply the church. And then, and do what? The, the real purpose of the current ministry, the current ministry, the real purpose of that is not to give practical direction to the churches. So if you listen carefully, you'll find out there is very little practical direction given in the seven feasts. Very little. 
In fact, some people like to criticize the seven feasts. They say they're not practical. They're not telling us how to do it. No, we're not. It's not our intention. It's not our burden. It's not, uh, let me be bold. It's not our commission. So what is, what are we doing in the ministry? Really, we're trying to keep all of the saints and all of the churches in the vision. You know, we all know it's so easy to depart from the vision. It doesn't take long at all. That's why we have seven of them a year. (laughs) By the time we're done with one, in between that one and the next one, we've already got away from the vision. And Brother Lee knew that. That's why we have seven. And really, that the purpose of the ministry, keep us in that vision, keep us focused on God's economy. Then we need to apply that in every local church on the whole earth. How many are there? Thousands. And everyone has a different situation. How could the ministry meetings, how could they provide the direction? We don't even know all those churches. We don't even know where all of them are. (laughs) I go a lot of places. I find out there's churches. One time I had to stop in Guam on my way to the Philippines. And I asked, I asked quite, this is several years ago, I asked quite a few brothers, do we, do we have saints in Guam? Do, do we have a church in Guam? Everybody told me, no, there's no church in Guam. I looked in the church address book, no church in Guam. But I got to Guam, there was a church in Guam. <laughs> and I met with the saints there, and actually I'm going back there real soon to see them. We have a wonderful church in Guam. My point is, it's going to be carried out in a different way, in different places, because the needs are different. Let me just use one example that we can all relate to. Children's meeting. How should we carry out the children's meeting in the local church? Should we call Anaheim and ask them how they're doing it? Well, that wouldn't be very smart. This isn't Anaheim. And your situation's totally different than the situation in Anaheim. And if you notice, even in this new book, which we all love, Raising Up the Next Generation for the Church Life, it doesn't tell you how to do it. In fact, you know what it says for children's meeting materials? It says every place has to do their own. You might say, what? How, how crazy is that? Why doesn't Living Stream just publish a bunch of lessons for us. And, you know, even when Brother Lee was alive, people asked him, just give us the lessons. He said, no, no. You have to pray. You have to coordinate. You have to consider the need. And then you have to meet the need according to your situation. Okay, let me give you an example. A school. You know, My parents grew up on farms in the middle of America. They went to school, but the schools they went to, really different than the schools I went to in the city. You know, those schools were really small. So all the students were in one class. They didn't have kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. No, you just have a little red schoolhouse with 20 kids in it. That's that's school. 
say, well, that's not the right way to have school. Sure it is. If you have 20 kids, it's the exact right way to do it. So if you're in a local church with that has 100 children that you're caring for in children's meeting, you're going to do it very different than a place that has 10. Do we have churches with 10? Yeah, lots, lots. And we have a lot with 20. We have a lot with 30. Thank the Lord. We have some with 100. We have some with 150. So how should they do it? And who and who's going to tell them how to do it? Should we call Ron Kangas? He's the most experienced. Ron, how do we do the children's meeting? I can already give you his answer. You know what he's going to say? Talk to the brothers. I don't know. I'm not there. I, 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 I don't know anything about your situation. That's going to be his answer. So I say this just to emphasize, I hope I'm not beating it to death, but I want to emphasize that when we talk about serving in the church, we mean we serve under the direction of the brothers. So that I quoted this last night. Brother said, 90% of the children's work depends on the children. You know what the 10% is? The oversight. The oversight. And where does that come from? The elders in your locality. It's the only place it can come from. Only thing you find in the ministry in terms of direction are the principles. And thank the Lord Without those principles, we would never know what to do. So thank the Lord for that. But how we're going to apply those principles locality by locality at any point in time, according to a situation, that's the commission of the leading brothers. That's not the commission of the ministry. So always serve under the fellowship, under the direction, under the oversight of the brothers. That's the covering for the sisters and for all of the saints because the brothers are under the direction and the oversight and the care of the Son of Man who's walking among the churches. Okay, second point I mentioned last night. I want to repeat it this morning in case we have some who were not here last night. To serve in the, and it, it, it's, it's the, it's the bridge to the next outline. To serve in the church life as a mother is a very, very important service. We have to redefine the way we understand motherhood. Many, forgive me, sisters, but especially the younger sisters, Many of the younger sisters define motherhood as slavery. <laughs> I used to be able to serve. I used to be able to preach the gospel. I used to be able to do so much. Now I can't do anything. No, you can do more, way more now than you could do before. Now you've got a fantastic opportunity to bring people into the, the Lord's salvation and into the church life. And you will be much more successful if you give yourself to that. And while you're doing that, 
do it with each other. Care not only for your own children, but the children of the saints. We saw last night a very important service. We'll develop that this morning. Then let me add a third one, and then we'll go on to the next outline. <clears throat> you know, another thing we really, really need the sisters for food. Do you really want the brothers cooking your dinner? I know there are exceptions. I actually do know how to cook. I I used to cook in the training center, actually. So I know a little bit about it. But I'd much rather eat my wife's cooking than mine. Um, and you say, well, food, that's not a spiritual service. That's, you know, this is food. Well, be careful. How you do it, it determines whether or not it's a spiritual service. It's not food that makes it a spiritual service or not a spiritual service. It's how you carry it out. So in Acts chapter 6 in the church life, they had a practice at that time to feed, to feed those who could not feed themselves. They did it corporately, especially the widows. They took care of the widows. And... The, and the apostles were overseeing that. That's how important it is. And then the apostles said, well, we shouldn't serve the food because we really need to take care of prayer and the ministry of the word. But you know what the qualifications were to serve food? You had to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. That was to serve the food, not to cook it. To serve the food, the qualification is you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And look at what you see in Acts. In Acts 6, Stephen is a waiter bringing food to the, to the sisters. Here's your food. Here's your food. Here's your food. Then the next chapter, Stephen gives one of the longest messages in the whole New Testament. You know, Acts 7 is a long message. And he knows the entire history of God's move in the Old Testament. And he knows how to apply it to the New Testament. And then his message consummates with him being stoned to death. Wow. And the ascended Christ receiving him. And he, he repeats the life of the Lord. He prays for those who killed him. Where did he learn that? He learned it serving food. <clears throat> he really did. I'm really not joking. Uh, you know, in the U.S., we have a college training. For many years, my job in the college training was to make sure there was food for 400 college trainees. I oversaw the kitchen. I made sure that there was enough food and that it was good food. You know, that's every bit as important as giving a message. Every bit. In fact, what I used to do is after I would work in the kitchen, then I'd put on a tie and go give a message, and then I'd take my tie off and go back to the kitchen. I did that in the training in Taipei. We had 700 trainees. Sometimes I was cooking the food. Sometimes I was giving a message. They're really not two different services. That's what I'm trying to impress you with. They're not. 
That's one service. That's one service. I felt just as happy feeding the saints food as I did teaching the word. They're really the same service. So let's not despise that kind of function. We need it bad in the church life. Food's important. What if we didn't have any food here this weekend? Yeah. You know, and when the Lord fed those 5,000, the way he distributed the food was he didn't distribute it. There was an arrangement, and then the disciples served the food. Then the Lord spoke the word. Only the Lord could speak the word, but if they hadn't had that food, nobody would have listened to that word because they would have been hungry. So actually, our serving together in the church life under the coordination, under the fellowship, under the oversight, is a, it's a coordinated service. It's a coordinated service. We do it together. Okay, now this particular outline, the second one, it comes from a message. I'll give you the title. <clears throat> the title is The Loving Mothers. The Loving Mothers in the Church Life. I should have, on the title, I should have said The Loving Mothers, but I, I, I changed it to The Need for Spiritual Mothers because I want to point out that it's spiritual. I mean, it is physical, as we said last night, to care for your own children. But this is a broader application. This is a broader application that we need spiritual mothers in the church life. And didn't you enjoy those three verses? I'm just going to repeat them to you before I get into the outline, because I want to point out a couple of things to you. In Titus... You know, Titus is written along with First and Second Timothy to deal with the degradation in the church. And when you read about the degradation, you know what it mainly is? It's, it's the degradation of the humanity. It's not so much, yeah, it's a departure from the apostles' teaching. No doubt about it. It is. And, and Paul addresses that departure from the apostles' teaching. But then when he describes the problems, it's, it's the destruction of a proper humanity. You know, Satan is smart. When we preach the gospel, we try to gain not only individuals. We try to gain households, right? Well, Satan has the same strategy. If he can destroy you... As an individual, he's happy, but he's much happier if he can destroy a household because he knows that the building block of the church is not the individual, is it? It's just like the building block of society. Society is not built with individuals, is it? It's built with families and households. The church is that way. We don't build it with individuals. Yes, within the church, we all have an individual function, but the basic unit is the family. So, so, so what, what do you think Satan would attack? Let's attack marriage. Let's attack the definition of marriage. Let's attack 
the family. Let's make the women act like men. Let's make the men act like women. Then everything is upside down. Now the church has no way to be built. It's smart. It's a good strategy. So we, I like Paul's word in 2 Corinthians 2. We're not ignorant of his schemes. That is his scheme. So I go back again. You know, I have seen, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to be honest. I've seen young brothers, they're they're 26 years old. They went to the full-time training. They... They're serving in the church. Then their wife has a baby, and it's like they fell off the face of the earth. It's like where, where did he go? And then the next time I see him, he's wearing, he's wearing the baby on his chest, in one of those little what do you call those? It. You know what? That uh, I'm sorry. That does not look good on a man. That does not look good on any man. You know, you put that on me, you might as well make me wear a dress. It's pretty much the same thing. It's pretty much the same thing. I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, is that man pregnant? He's carrying around a baby. And then I see his wife. She's not carrying anything. Now, you tell me. Is it just me or is that backwards? I'm pretty sure that's backwards. There's nothing wrong with a husband caring for his child. Of course not. Of course there's nothing wrong with that. I, carried, I, I cared for my children the whole time they were growing up. I cared for them as a father, not as a mother. The role of a father and the role of a mother are distinct. Look at Paul's word in 1 Thessalonians. He said, we were gentle among you. We were gentle in your midst as a nursing mother would cherish her own children. Then he said, we were also a father to you. We exhorted you, we testified to you, and we consoled you. That's First Thessalonians chapter 2. The role of caring for the child belongs to both the father and the mother, but the function of their care is different. A mother's care is not a father's care. A father's care is not a mother's care. That's why we have a father and mother in God's ordination. We need them. You know, when Mike talk about attacking the family, when my children were in kindergarten, this is more than 25 years ago, one day my older daughter came home with a book from kindergarten that, that, that you know, they're just learning how to read. The name of the book is Sally has two mommies. That was the name of the book. Sally has two mommies. 
Then my daughter, of course, she asked me, Dad, do some families have two mommies? I said, no. No families have two mommies. There's no such thing. She said, then why do they have a book? You know, kindergarten, they're simple. She said, why, why do we have a book about two mommies? I said, well, the book is wrong. Not all books are right. Some books are right. Some books are wrong. That one's wrong. Then she said, then why did the teacher give us this book? Because this, this book came from the teacher. Doesn't the teacher know which books are right and which books are wrong? I said, no, the teacher doesn't know that. Daddy knows that. <laughs> That's what you want to ask Daddy. He knows. He knows that book is wrong. So we're not going to read that book. Um, see, that's the attack. That's the attack. Hey, I'm, I'm a modern male, okay? I help my wife clean the house. Sometimes I even cook because I'm okay at cooking. I, I cared for my children as a dad. But I don't care for them as a mom. You know why? I'm a rotten mother. And I'm not much of a better father, but I'm certainly a lot better father than I am a mother. So please don't misunderstand my word. Um, I'm saying, let's look what's behind this. What's behind this is, and again, I'm not criticizing any individual brother or sister. Saying, where does this come from? It comes from the age. It comes from the philosophy of the age. And, um, and the practical effect is, if we want to make a brother into a mother, he's not going to be able to function in the church life as a brother. He won't. And that's the attack. See, I'm not really not making a comment here about parenting. I'm talking about the church life. How can we function in the church life properly according to God's economy? That's what we're talking about. Amen. And who in the church, the title of this is The Need for Spiritual Mothers. Who in the church should do that function? Me? No. I don't think so. I can't. No. And Titus, let me read you the verse. This is why I wanted you to read Titus. Listen to what Paul says. Older women, likewise, to be in demeanor as befits those who engage in sacred things, not slanderers nor enslaved by much wine, teachers of what is good, that they may train the younger women who trains the younger women in the church life? Not me. I can't do that. If you ask me to train the younger women, they're in big trouble. I don't know what to tell them. I'm not a woman. I'm not a mother. I'm not a wife. Where do they get that training? The older women. And I hope and I pray that you will see this aspect of the service of the church um, when my wife was young and our children were young, unfortunately, my parents died early. And 
man, I wish there was somebody we could have called just to tell us how to live this human life with, you know, this next stage of life, just somebody who's been through it and, 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 and even more so, somebody who learned to experience Christ in that stage of life because uh, they don't know how to do it. They knew how to experience Christ in the previous stage of life before they were married, before they had children. But now they're married. Now they have children. They go, what do I do? You've all been there. Wouldn't it be nice? You know, that's why in a family you got another role, which we read in 1 Timothy. Hallelujah for Grandma. Isn't that great? We got Grandma. The faith which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. You know, the Bible never tells us the name of Timothy's father. It never tells us the name of Timothy's grandfather. But we know the name of his grandma. And we, don't, we know the name of his mom. That's who raised him up in a human way. That's what made him a vessel that the Apostle Paul could perfect as a spiritual son. But who raised up that vessel? Not Paul. Eunice did it with the help of Lois. Isn't that great? So we've told all the sisters in our locality where I am, again, don't, I'm not giving any direction here because I'm not an elder here. I'm just telling you what we did in our locality because I am an elder there. I, I, I asked all the older sisters, please resign from all practical service because we desperately need 100% of your time for a much more important service. They said, really? I've been, I've been serving, you know, I've been serving on book sales for 30 years. I said, yeah, I know. We cannot afford to have you do that anymore because we have a whole lot of people who can sell books, but we don't have anyone else who can do this service. Okay, what is it? I said, you've got to train the younger women. You've got to do it. And they were so surprised. They said, well, we're not trainers. You're a trainer. Why don't you train them? I said, I can't. I'm disqualified. I have to be an older woman, and I'm not. It's true. You can give them a help. I sure can't give them. And you know what the help they need is? Listen, actually, they don't need the kind of help I can give them. If they're not clear about the truth, I can help them with that real easy. But here's what they need that they may train the young women to love their husbands. Have you noticed that a lot of the younger women today, a higher percentage, I'm just going to say something bad now, (laughs) a higher percentage of the young women are getting divorced. You know why? They weren't trained. They weren't trained. We, we failed them. We didn't train them in this matter. And to be trained to love their children. And there's more. To be trained 
to be of a sober mind. Oh, there's that word again, mind. The renewing of the mind. You need the older sisters, you need to tell the younger sisters that thought you have, that thought you have about what it means to be a mother or a father. It's the wrong thought. Your mind's not sober. You need the thought in the Word of God. It's your job. It's not my job. <laughs> Even if I try to do it, they won't listen to me because they'll say, what do you know about it? You're, you're a guy. And I would say, yeah, you're right. I don't know anything about it. Love their children. Be of a sober mind. Be pure. Be workers at a very successful career. I know. Go ahead. Get the stones ready. I'm quoting the Bible. This is not my opinion. I'm not against sisters having a successful career. Not at all. But I want them to be mothers. That's what the Bible... And I want them to be workers at home, caring for the home, caring for the family, caring for opening the home to the saints. Who's going to do that? Even if you ask the brothers to do it, they're really bad at it. They're just not made to do that. They don't know how to do that. And even for the young sisters to do it requires training. How do we do it? To be good, to be subject to their own husbands. The word own is important. It's much easier to be subject to someone else's husband. You say, man, if my husband was any good, I'd be subject to him. You know, if my husband was like your husband, I'd, I'd be subject to him, but he's not. Actually, I've got a secret for you. They're all the same. They're all the same. And then what's the conclusion? That the word of God may not be blasphemed. The word of God is what determines what these roles are. It's not the Supreme Court of New Zealand or the United States. It's not the politics. We don't care about any of that. We live by a higher law. The law we live by is the Word of God. The Word of God defines marriage. The Word of God defines the role of a husband, of a father, of a mother. That's where we look for that definition. We don't look to society for it. So this is a job all the older sisters, oh, man, you're going to be so busy now. There's a whole lot of sisters in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s who are dying for this kind of training. And, they, and where are they going to get it? They're going to get it from you. So pick one, pick two, pick three. And many of you already have them. Some of them... Sometimes that that 30-year-old mother that you're supposed to help just happens to be your daughter. That's A-OK, because your daughter is a saint in the church life. You can shepherd her. You can train her. 
In fact, who better? Who better to train her? And then while you're training her, you can train two or three others who are just like that. What if all of the sisters in their 60s, in their 70s, were doing that? Would the church life be strong? Oh, man, would it be strong. Would the marriages be strong? Yes, they would. Would the families be strong? So, you've got a big job. You've got a really big job. Way bigger than mine. Because I'll be leaving Sunday, tomorrow. And when I leave, you're still going to be here with all those younger sisters who need that training. Okay, and then one last point on the verses, and then we'll read through the outline. Uh, Romans 16:13. I just want to point out, the Apostle Paul needed a spiritual mother. The Apostle Paul. You say, how does Paul need a spiritual mother? Especially by the time he's writing Romans. He's not... I mean, he is a real apostle. But in Romans 16, he talks about the mother of Rufus and mine. Rufus's mother was not the mother of the Apostle Paul, but she was a spiritual mother to the Apostle Paul. Do you know that apostles need mothers? They do. They do. Actually, everyone does. My mother passed away when I was 40. Man, I never cried so many tears in my entire life. And after she died, you know, I had a practice. We lived far away from each other at that time. I would call her every Lord's Day evening. I would call her. After she died, every Lord's Day evening, I would reach for the phone to call her. And then I would realize I can't call her. It's a picture. I miss my mother to this day. I still wish I could call her. But, you know, in the church life, we all need mothers. We need spiritual mothers, including the brothers. The brothers need mothers. Yeah, the sisters need the training of the older sisters. The brothers, sorry, the brothers don't need your training. (laughs) They don't... They don't need you to train them how to, how to care for the church, how to administrate the church, how to oversee the church. No, that's what they're good at. They need mothers who care for their situation. Okay, now let's read this second outline. We need many spiritual... It's a real short outline. We need many spiritual mothers in the church life. Do you, do, you, do you think so? Do we have enough? I don't think so. Numerically, we do, but it seems to me we're short. And, and, and fathers, too, but this is a sister's training. But Paul says, related to the fathers, he says, you have 10,000 guides, but you don't have many fathers. And, and that's, we're missing fathers, too. But we're definitely missing mothers. So, you know, look at the relationship between the Lord Jesus and his mother. It's something really beautiful because it's in resurrection. It's not natural at all. It's a resurrected relationship. 
when he was 12 years old and she found him in the temple. The implication in Luke chapter 2 is she was not happy with him. She was not happy with that 12-year-old boy. We've been looking everywhere for you. Where were you? Just like any mother would say to a 12-year-old. And he answered her very properly, very respectfully. This is where you're going to find me. I'm here taking care of the father. But then it says, as a 12-year-old, he went with her and was subject to her. Of course he was. He was 12. But later, you come to John 2. Now he's 30 years old. He's at the wedding feast of Cana, and she she tries to tell him what to do. And he doesn't even call her mother, does he? He calls her woman. He's a woman. What do I have to do with you? Another time, he's ministering in the house to the disciples, and they tell him, your mother's outside. She's worried about you. You haven't eaten anything. He said, that's not my mother. This is my mother right here. So there's nothing natural. There's 100% in resurrection. And I bring this up because the, the, the danger is this, sisters. When we say we need loving mothers in the church life, some of the sisters want to carry that out in their natural life. That kills people. That love kills people. It has to be resurrected. It's got to be love in resurrection. That's what builds up the church. Not, not natural care, natural. Look what Peter's natural love for the Lord resulted in. What a mess. And I know some saints, they're really good. And you have to say they really care for the saints. But their way of caring for the saints is 100% natural. And that does not build the church. And actually, it doesn't help the ones they're caring for. Not really. So then let's go to the end of the Lord's life. He's dying on the cross. He's still shepherding his mother. She was there. While he's dying, he tells John, you need to take care of. And he tells John, that's your mother. Well, that wasn't his. That's not. Mary was not John's mother. And, and John was not Mary's son. What is that? That's resurrection. So here it says, originally John was not Mary's son. And Mary was not John's mother. But because of the Lord's crucifixion and resurrection, a life transfer took place. According to the flesh, John was Mary's nephew. And Mary was John's aunt. But according to the spirit, the nephew became a son and the aunt became a real spiritual mother. Isn't that lovely? That's what we need. That's resurrection. The mother of Rufus became a mother to the apostle Paul. I have no idea exactly what she did that Paul felt so strongly that he said, that's my mother. 
Oh, last night, one of the sisters was talking to me after the meeting, and she was talking to me about her spiritual mother. And man, she had so much feeling talking about her spiritual mother. Of course, we love those who care for us. We do. Everybody does. That's why I love my mom so much. Um, Paul, there's no doubt he loved the mother of Rufus. She must have cared for him in a very particular way for him to say that. C, many sisters could each take care of two or three spiritual children. You know, the picture of shepherding is the human family. My parents had some big capacity. Of course, they were Catholic. That was part of it. They had nine children, like every good Catholic should. And uh, nine kids is a lot of kids. The biggest family I knew was the Gallaghers. They were not only Catholic, they were Irish Catholic. And those Irish Catholics are serious, let me tell you. The Gallaghers had 14 kids. They lived right down the street from us. And... That's the biggest family I've ever known. Now, you may know of some bigger ones, but that's the most I've ever seen. They had 14 kids. Well, why don't you see families with 20 kids or 25? Because nobody has that capacity. No one has that capacity to care. There's a limit to the number of people we can shepherd, the number of people we can care for, the number of people we can be a spiritual mother to. Let's look at the Lord in his human life. He, in three and a half years, how many people did he really shepherd? He contacted thousands. I mean, everywhere he went, there were thousands. But you can't spend time with thousands, so he didn't. So what did he do? He prayed. You know, the Gospels record that the night before the Lord called the twelve, he spent the whole night in prayer. What do you think he was praying for? The Bible doesn't record that prayer. But the very next morning after praying that, he called the twelve. So I think we know what he was praying for. He was probably saying, Father, everywhere I go, there's these huge crowds but I'm a man in my humanity. I'm limited by time and space. I have to sleep. I have to eat. So out of these, which ones should I care for? And the father told him, these ones, these 12. And I can confirm that from John 17 because there are two verses in John 17. At the end of his life, he says, Father... Of all the ones you gave me, I did not lose one, except the son of perdition. Son of perdition is Judas. He's one of the twelve. So I believe that the Lord, as a man, said, Father, I see all of these people. I see all of these needs. I can't meet all of them. I'm one single man in humanity. So which, how, how, you, give me your direction. Father said, 
It's these 12. Man, I never would have picked those 12. Would you? None of them are any good. And one of them's Judas. One's Judas. Is Peter really... You like Peter? James and John, the sons of thunder? I would have... If I were the Lord, maybe that's why he prayed all night. (laughs) If I was the Lord, I would have said, "Uh, not him. Really? Judas? You want me to care for Judas? Please, no. Peter? Are you kidding me? That guy? Every time he opens his mouth, it's wrong. James and John? They want to kill people. That's who you're giving me? Well, you know what? That's all we got in the church life. You don't like Judas? You don't like Peter? You don't like James and John? You're going to have nothing to do. Because that's all we got. That was probably the the father's answer to the Lord's prayer. He said, that's all I got. (laughs) Don't you think? (laughs) The father probably told him, you don't take care of those 12, you you might as well be crucified right now. Because those 12, that's, that's, that's all you've got to work with. And then we know out of those 12, he actually, you know, we don't even know much about most of them. We don't even know what became of most of them. He really cared for how many? Three. In three and a half years, he poured himself into Peter, James, and John. That's what he could do. That's what anyone can do. Nobody can. Don't dream that you're going to perfect 12. You're not. If you could perfect three, you've done a fantastic job. If you could really be a spiritual mother to a Peter, a James, and a John, three naughty ones, wow, you have done a great service. That's what the Lord could do in his humanity in three and a half years. So have this thought, and and, and let's do it the way he did it. Let's pray. Lord, in the church in Hamilton, I see 20 sisters who need this kind of training, but I'm only one person. What should I do? And pray. The Lord will lead you. He'll say, take care of these two. Then just do that. Just do that. And then you say, well, what about all the others? The Lord will ask someone else to take care of them. We're not all inclusive. We can't do it with everybody. So we can do, we can take care of two or three. Oh, here's a statement. Listen to this. All the parents will like this one. Oftentimes, children will not listen to their parents, but they are willing to listen to someone other than their parents. Isn't that amazing? You know, when when I was raising my kids, and, and you need to do this too with your companions, there were several other brothers my age that I was serving with, and when I really wanted to get a message to my kids, I'd say, you tell him. And then when he really wanted to get a message to his kids, he'd say, Mark, tell him this. And his kids would listen to me, but not to him. And my kids would listen to him, but not to me. And then my kids would say, wow, you know what, brother, you know what brother so-and-so told me? It's so good. I said, I've been telling you that every day for the last 10 years. But they never heard it from me. But as soon as he says it, they go, wow. 
That's a real true statement, isn't it? And that's why we need to do this job together. Yeah, you have the primary responsibility for your own children. There's no question about that. But I like to say it this way, and this is a quote. The children are the parents' responsibility, but they're the church's burden. We, we all care. We all care for your children. We all care for each other's children. That's how we're going to do this, this job. Now, here's a good point. Taking care of others in this way will cause you to grow in life and make you mature in life. Did you know that? This is one of the reasons the sisters lament that they are stuck at home with the six-month-old. They say, man, I hardly have time to open the Bible. It's everything I can do to get the the page of the morning revival open, and then as soon as I open it, the kid starts screaming. How am I going to grow in life? You're going to grow in life by caring for others. Growing in life is more than simply reading the Bible and the ministry. Of course you need to read the Bible and the ministry. Of course you do as much as you can. But there's a limit, especially when you're occupied caring for people. That caring for people, you know why it causes you to grow in life? Man, think about it. Nothing exposes your shortage more than having to care for someone else. You really thought you were pretty good until you had to care for someone else. I still remember the day my wife came to me. My wife, some of you met her. My wife is a, my wife is a very meek person. One day she told me, I never even knew I had a temper until I had kids. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Caring for people, especially someone that you really need to care for in a a, a daily way, it's going to expose your shortage. We all have a big shortage. We can't even take care of ourselves. Now I've got to take care of three more. What do I do? I'm going to pray. One of the sisters testified last night. I I love what you said, sister. She said, those kids caused me to pray more than any other thing in my whole life. That's right. That's why you grew in life. Because those kids helped you grow in life. That's what happened. Taking care of others in this way will cause you to grow in life and make you mature in life. You've all seen it humanly, haven't you? 23-year-old sister has a baby. You can just watch them mature in life as they're caring for this person. You can see it. Same thing spiritually. You can see it. But for this, we must experience the cross to cross out our natural life. Even in dealing with our own children, sisters, we have to not do it in the natural life. I still remember one time my wife and I were praying for our kids and it was the first time I ever prayed this and I had no intention of praying it. You know, I have two daughters. As we were, my wife and I were praying for my older daughter, I didn't say, Lord, I pray for my daughter. I said, Lord, we pray for our sister. I was, 
our sister who I was talking about was my daughter. But what came out of my mouth was our sister. Why? Because when, when I'm shepherding her spiritually, I, she's my sister. She's 30 years old. She's my sister. Yeah, I'm her father according to the flesh. And I hope that I'm her spiritual father as well. But that relationship needs to move from a natural relationship to a relationship in resurrection. Same with our marriage life. My marriage life, just like you, my marriage life began as a natural relationship 38 years ago. But today, at least in part, it's in resurrection. When I pray for my wife, I pray for my sister, right? And uh, I love her as a wife. I love her as my wife. But the relationship has to go through death and into resurrection. has to. Just like the, the relationship the Lord had with his relatives, we have to have a resurrected relationship with your husband or wife and a resurrected relationship with your own children. And all those we care for, all those we care for in the church life, our natural love and fleshly emotion may become a snare. I I think you know that's true. Uh, I do know saints, they, they have the right heart to care for people, but their way of doing it it just is all in the natural realm. So what should we do? How do we be how can you be a spiritual mother? Well, we need to pray. We need to pray. We we don't just act out of our emotions. We don't just react. Oh, there's a need. I must meet this need. Maybe not. Maybe you should just pray. And this is a danger in the church life because it's easy to see needs, isn't it? I see a thousand needs. doesn't mean I'm supposed to do anything about them. I should pray. Now, as I pray, I have to ask the Lord, am I the one who is supposed to try to contact this person or or? Or should I just be praying and should, do, do you want to send someone else to meet this need? But very often we don't pray, we just react. Oh, I see a need, I'm going to meet it. That's natural emotion, that's natural affection. It may become a snare. Caring for others as a spiritual mother is a protection and a support to the sisters. Have you ever had this concept? Caring for others is a protection and a support. Actually, caring for others will keep you in the church life like nothing else. You can offend me all you want. I'm not leaving because I'm caring for some people here. You can't, you can't get a big enough offense to get me out. But if you're not caring for people, it doesn't take much at all. You could be taken out quite quite easily. Without some spiritual children to be a limitation, protection, and support, a sister could easily fall away. 
the children will keep the mothers from making mistakes. Isn't it true? Man, once you're a parent for very long at all, you start to realize, oh my goodness. My children see everything I do. And everything I do is sowing a seed into them. And when I was young, my father, you know, nine kids, he, and he was unsaved, he, he had a saying, he'd say, do what I say, not what I do. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the dream of every parent. Yeah, yeah, I wish it worked that way. It doesn't. They never do what you say, they do what you do. That's what kids do. And once you realize that as a parent, it becomes protection, doesn't it? I have to sanctify myself for their sake. I don't sanctify myself for my sake. Maybe I don't even care enough to sanctify myself for my sake. But I sanctify myself for their sake. That's what a protection. In the church life, we should have the real and practical family relationship in which we take care of each other's children. Wouldn't that just be beautiful? I, and, 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 and I think we do. I think we do. I, but I also think we can improve. If we don't do this, our second generation will realize that our brotherhood and sisterhood is not genuine. You know, the thing about kids is they're really smart. You can't fool them. They, they really, if things aren't real, they know it. They know it. But we can tell them, oh, you know, church life, it's just one big, great family. Kids like, oh, yeah? Show me. So the way they're going to know that the church life is a lovely family life is they're going to see their parents caring for not only their own children, but the children of the saints. By being a spiritual mother, you will be exposed how you love yourself, how selfish you are, and how you care only for yourself. Ooh, this applies to the brothers too, but we're talking to the sisters today. Isn't that true? It's like you begrudge. Oh man, I gotta feed this kid. I should be reading the Bible. You love yourself more than you love that baby. These things would not be exposed until you care for spiritual children. Seventy percent of the practical building up of the church depends on the sisters. I would say that's about right. The practical building up is, you know, so much of that involves the care of our next generation, I don't think 70% is too much. We all must pray that the Lord will have mercy upon the church, that all the sisters will be Phoebes and spiritual mothers to others. Isn't it good? Okay, how about if we pray for a minute with someone and then the brothers will set up the microphones. We can... Tell us about your spiritual mother and tell us about your spiritual children.